you got the coolest job yep. in the world. Uh, everybody wants to be a rock and roll star, and uh, you've managed to do it for the last forty years. Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 not it's not the easiest thing to do. I wouldn't recommend it to most people. In fact, just about anybody. Um, I'm my kid wants to be a lawyer, and uh, she's getting trying to get a criminal justice degree. She's eighteen and freshman in college, and and that makes a lot of sense, you know. And you know, a lot of people have told me that I, I my parents kind of wanted me to do something like that, and. I decided I didn't want to do that, and my dad kicked me out of the house at 18, and uh, it was probably the best thing he ever did because I had to I had to find my way, and I couldn't uh, kind of sponge off of him and, uh, and do all the things that some budding rock stars do. I had to go out there and figure out how to make money at it. So I figured out little ways of making money and surviving at while pursuing a dream and a love for music, and I guess I've been able to do that more or less. Singing a song, blow your life. 
I'm sure you had something in your mind prior to that that, uh, hey, uh, I've, I've got to do this. And I think you had your first record released at 19, right? Uh, 20, actually. And yeah, that's I did have, I had already done quite a bit of, of pretty pretty important stuff by the time I was at age two. I opened for the Ramones the first time they played in Seattle. That was when I was 19. I uh, played, uh, played uh, the year before that, I played um, on the first uh, self produced kind of DIY punk show on the West Coast. Actually, um, it, it, it was predates anything in LA and San Francisco and everything else. Uh, the thing called, they now call the TMT show, which is these music historians talk about. Um, and that was on May 1st, 1976. And it predated actually by about a week, the first DIY punk shows in London. So, and, and I did a lot of cool stuff, was writing quite a few songs and all that kind of stuff. But then, um, I went to New York City after playing with the Ramones and was sort of enticed by them that that would be a good idea and, and kind of had the intention to do that anyway. And it was kind of a rough road for about six months out there. And But I saw some great bands and was really inspired. And uh, when I got back, uh, my parents let me back in the house for a couple of weeks to get on my feet, but I uh, ended up having to make that choice again. I, you know, my grandfather told me if I came back from New York that I would, you know, I would have to go back, to go do something sensible, like go to college and study something sensible or blah, blah, blah. But I just, you know, I didn't go with that plan. I just basically went out on my own and, uh, you know, did my thing. And I love my grandfather. I love my dad really a lot. And yeah, these are great guys and they probably did the right thing to just, you know, make me go out there. And I got, a, got into a little, uh, got into a little garage. I turned into a, a, into a rehearsal studio and I slept there actually a little bit, but Truth be known, I was taking pity upon a number of people. And so I, had, I lived a kind of a rough life there for a while, but well, I was sure we were having a lot of fun. And I was so captivated by the music that that made me so happy that, you know, I don't know if I would have done it any differently. One, two, three, last night, last night, I think it was hell last night.
My, my grandpa was a classical musician. He was kind of a snob, and he sort of, you know, just nothing about rock and roll was any good. So I kind of I finally got to admit that the Beatles were okay. You know, that was, that was about that was as far as that went. And then uh, my dad was a uh, was heavy into swing and uh, stuff, but he was a little more open minded. He was like he was kind of a beatnik sort of a character. He he uh, he turned out to a lot of cool stuff, but he was kind of a sort of a subversive guy. This is in the '60s. The, when I, I begged him, begged him to buy me a Beatles album when I was about mm, seven, seven, nah, eight, eight or nine maybe. And he, and he went out and got Revolver, which is the new Beatles album at that time. Wow. And then, he, but he also bought me Frank Zappa, absolutely free, 
and uh, the Fugs, which is a band from New York City, uh, and and he gave me those records, which were really kind of subversive, sort of counterculture kind of stuff. So he he left his mark on me in that way.
from New York in uh, like late summer of 1977 I my intention was to make a single and I made the single live in the sun back by she got effed and uh, and that was uh, that came it gets the date on it 77 but it was on my label it was the first release on my label 
during the process of making that single, I, I got a little bit of local press and some national kind of underground press, as it were, and back in that day. I mean, there wasn't really a lot of <coughs> media, really, but stuff like, you know, the mentions and, you know, little fans and things like that. So I got basically, uh, you know, a little bit of a buzz going, and I started auditioning, you know, musicians to try to put together a band, and finally arrived on this name, The Moberlies, and these guys, Steve Grindle and and uh you know first steve pearson and then this guy bill walters played drums throughout that and and then uh steve pearson was replaced by don short and don didn't even last long enough to do a gig and he was replaced by ben rabinowitz who was too young and didn't have a car so we had to cancel him but ben and i went on to write a lot of songs over the course of his his life unfortunately he passed away in the early 2000s from cancer Hmm. um and he was a good friend of bill reflux too but um what happened there was we finally found this guy Ernie and he joined the band and then we started you know getting ready and doing some gigs and we started off really strong we started off with a gig opening for Greg Kinn at the Paramount um, and that was our first or second gig I think we did a gig at a bar in West Seattle just like a special kind of opening gig there Um, but uh, other than that uh, and we started playing a bunch of a bunch of great gigs open for Dwight Twilley open for the police open for just a whole bunch of different bands and did a bunch of original music shows and uh, just did a bunch of great stuff
the truth of the matter is, um, New York was really going away from rock and roll, and uh, Seattle was uh, was a, a place that you know I had some some real connections with some musicians that I really felt something that was was real positive, mainly Dave Drury, and uh, and then he connected me with Toby Kyle and uh, Glenn Oyabi, and we finally came together. I think we did our first gig in like the first month or so of 1984. And we stayed together until 1989. So that band lasted for quite some time. We moved to, got together, played, and became sort of a, a, a buzz around Seattle. Got my picture on the cover of the Rocket, and you know, uh, but we weren't really a big club band like what the Heats and those guys were doing. We were kind of more, um, more just a Seattle, Vancouver, BC, occasionally Tacoma, occasionally Olympia, occasionally Portland, but just mostly a city, occasionally Bellingham. We weren't really like playing a lot of the suburbs and really didn't have that big of a draw uh, outside of just the big cities and stuff. And, but we did, we had a good buzz. We had a good buzz and we were, and we were making some stuff happen, but everybody in the band decided that Seattle wasn't the place to be. And it was kind of phasing down even really badly in Seattle as far as the original music scene. And, you know, the heats broke up and then uh, the Rangewoods were doing it and the Cowboys were still doing it. But it really started phasing down by the mid 80s.
the Moberly's in Seattle had a had a good run though. We had a really good sound and uh, and uh, it played a lot of gigs. And actually, we kind of opened up that club, the Central, which sort of became ground zero for the the grunge scene. When we started playing that place, it was kind of a sort of a hippie kind of a jam kind of a bar, kind of a sort sort of like a just a dance place, kind of an ex, sort of the second tier kind of version of the Rainbow, maybe. Um, I don't know if you remember that place in E District, but um, I, I know the club. Kept, I was too young to go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You were, <laughs> and and um, yeah. So we kind of got that central going. We started playing, you know, garage and sort of punk rock and power pop and and rock and roll and that kind of stuff. And and that kind of established sort of a home for that kind of a scene and opened up, you know, what to what later sort of became sort of the ground zero of. Nirvana and Alice in Chains and and Pearl Jam and all that. So the the management company for those bands were was upstairs eventually. Soundgarden and all that stuff. It just kind of it kind of grew out of that scene down there.
Thank you. The, the Moberleys moved down to L.A. in 1985, and uh, we moved into this place in Hollywood. We kind of hooked up with this management company, and uh, and it was kind of things didn't work out that great, and we ended up getting with another manager. But, but by about 86, we were starting to get a real buzz going down there, and uh, I was playing a lot of uh, quite a few solo gigs, too, that I was running this open mic kind of hoot night at this place called The Sound Check, and I met a lot of people there and anyway that's how through all that experience what did happen was we hooked up with peter buck and uh peter through one way or the other uh we ended up doing a deal with emi records and john guarnieri was the a and r guy and we did uh end up doing like about eight songs with peter and uh and uh had most of an album kind of together and then emi merged with Manhattan Records and they dropped all their rock and roll bands and I think they wanted to get rid of rock and roll and uh, kind of go more for the the dance thing that was what they thought was happening and um, they were kind of wrong about that but we were we were also really weren't the kind of rock and roll that really uh, LA was really wild about at the time the whole strip metal thing the you know poison and you know all that stuff so we kind of just didn't really fit. We tried to get a deal. After that, we hooked up with this big management company, and uh, they kind of promised us a lot of stuff. And I don't want to point any fingers, but long and short of it was the band didn't get signed. We kind of re- sort of ran, got a little discouraged, and you know, we fired the drummer, got another drummer, um, and that didn't work. And uh, the band broke up in '89.
um, going back to what happened with the Mo release, um, you know, a lot of great tunes, a lot of great recordings, tons of great recordings, and a lot of that came out on uh, on an album called Seattle, New York, Los Angeles that came out on the Pop the Balloon label in France in 2001 CD. And uh, that's kind of a, a good compilation of that whole band from the time we got together in Seattle in 84 until we broke up in 89. And there's another full kind of compilation of Moberly stuff on the Bear family label in Germany called Sextine, and that's uh, more or less all the, the band before uh, in that whole era of 78, 79, 80, that time frame. So, um, you know, so those two albums kind of document that stuff. And um, and then I also put together an, an album, which was my first CD, which came out in 93. But from after the Mobleys broke up in 89, I started recording uh, with uh, my check guy on drums and then uh, uh, Al Block on bass, guy who played in a band called Psycom with Kelly Wheeler was his name. He was a good, good guitar player. The four of us sort of put together a band, did a lot of songwriting and a lot of demos and stuff like that. Quite a few gigs. Um, and then uh, Kelly and I were pretty serious about it, but we just couldn't couldn't keep the band together.
like I said, that you know the Mobleys broke up, and then I moved back to Seattle and have done that. Have been here, living here ever since for 28 years or whatever it's been, but um, almost that much, yeah. But uh, the new album has really been the, the my major preoccupation uh, over the past uh, year, um, year or so, a year and a half, really, uh, and or more since I started working on the album. And uh, it's a real. I think I think not changing is a really a big step for me in my career. I mean, I really decided to really do something that was uh, that was different. But I hadn't really done an album of new material for a while, and I've been through a lot of stuff and done a lot of gigs and done a lot with the Sunny Boy thing and a couple other things. And I just wanted to do an album, and I I did something kind of different with not changing. I mean, it was. Uh, what I did basically was I recorded 40, 40 songs, new material, um, just demoed them. Um, me and Gary Shelton, the guy that played bass and co-produced and engineered, not changing. Um, we did demos of over 40 songs. I think seven of them were covers, something like that. Maybe it's a little under 40 originals, but a lot of material. And then uh, arrived on uh, 15 tunes of... 14 that are on Not Changing, and one which is a medley of uh, a Prince, a Bowie, and a Kink song um, that's going to be on the, the covers album that I'm going to be releasing later th in the end of this year. Um, that's also going to have the Kink song that I just released um, on oh, yeah. Big Stir on it, as well as a whole lot of other covers. Next, I just got to master it and package it, and it's ready to go. But uh, that's that, and I mean, who knows, maybe I'll record another song for it. We'll see how, how that goes between now and then. Some songs, that change the world. This song is for those that never want to change. If I had another life to live, I would not change a thing. It doesn't mean I'm always right, I know. I'm not living in a dream There's some things I might like to change Like points of view on six o'clock news It ain't all about gangsters and drugs It ain't all about to be a thugs It ain't all about who's killing who It's all about you I don't want to be another Tommy Rocker Making money, finding flags to wave With this guitar you can dig for gold But can you dig a soul from a grave? There's some big things I'd like to see Like the devil himself on my TV Singing a song for me It ain't all about Clinton and Bush It ain't all about watching your tush It ain't all about Muslims and Jews It's all about me, you What are we gonna do to change? You're not changing a thing Remain the same. Not change. You're not changing. 
If I had another life to live, I would not change a thing. Jenny, baby, is it trick or treat? What's your disguise tonight? The moon is full, your glass of wine is filling you with light. Cause if you want love, you can always get it. Loving you is what I do. Cause if you got love, you can get it, sugar. You never cease to amaze me. You're like a woman, you're just a baby You never cease to amaze me You're the rain in my heart You're the one in my dreams Jenny, baby, I just can't believe You're mad at me again It's always something, sometimes it's nothing we always end up friends in the end Cause if you want more, I'll give it to you I got so much of what you're looking for Cause if you got it, you can get it, sugar You never cease to amaze me You're like a woman, a pretty baby You never cease to amaze me Be all the rain in my heart Be all the one in my until we arrived on the tunes that we thought were the best tunes. And then we decided to wait to record this album. I decided to wait to record this album. Gary was reluctant, but he, he, he's glad he went with me on this. Was to record them live, just me on acoustic guitar, on my 12-string guitar and vocal, and him playing bass, and until we got a, a track that was just a great feel. That the whole thing was about feel, had nothing to do with perfect time or perfect pitch or perfect anything. Just all about the feel. And then we could fix it up from there. And so what we did was we did that, and we based every single track on that premise except for one, and that was Big Bang. And that one we used a, a click track for uh, because we wanted a certain kind of a sound. So we got that. But other than that, it was all just completely uh, just the feel and no concern so much about, about tempo or perfection like so many people are Base, base all their writing and producing on these days. 
Actually, you know, it actually increased the amount of good tunes to do in my live show, which has been sort of how I've sustained myself over the past 25 or so years up here in the Northwest. Um, I think almost double them. I mean, a lot these these tunes really work in my live show, and uh, and either either my either my band shows or my solo and duo shows, pretty much all of them work. And uh, you know, so it's it's been a really big uh, step in the right direction and I guess you know I'm just going to keep on uh, pushing I, I don't think the album's really seen uh, seen its peak yet I think there's a lot of people don't have any idea about it that would really like it and I think there's a couple of songs on there that really haven't been pushed that could be could be airplay pretty good airplay songs that I think have, have some uh, some history to them on a suicide evening can't find the everything I've done in my life passing me by passing me by oh now baby bruised up and burned Everyone that once cared 
made so many mistakes in my life. I want to die. Stupid word. 